Do you remember how you spent your time in elementary and high school? I bet you it's a lot different from what kids are exposed to today. Over the past 20 years, funding for extracurricular activities after school programs and social services for youth within BC has dropped by more than 90%. Elementary schools across Metro Vancouver have eliminated art classes, music programs, and even education specialists in non-academic learning. But with the new BC curriculum that was introduced in 2016, along with the latest academic research, the learning shows the critical roles and essential benefits of those exact outlets in the overall developmental needs of children from K to 12. These creative outlets provide them with the tools and experiences to becoming happier, more resilient children. And the need for these outlets are more important and in demand than ever before. Welcome to Progress Not Perfection, the leadership podcast where we grow through what we go through. My name is JQ and I'll be your co-pilot. Each episode, we sit down with leaders to explore how they build companies and communities, products and services with a vision for the greater good. We dig into how they create clarity and chaos as they wrestle with messy situations and also how they navigate their own career journeys along the way. If you're ready, let's step to it. It's easy to rant about how we wish the world were a better place, but every once in a while you serendipitously meet someone who sets out to do exactly that. In today's episode, I'm joined by Tong Guan, the executive director of Do What You Love. It's a nonprofit organization that provides kids with access to extracurricular programs ranging from the classics like arts, dance, and music to robotics, computer coding, and yoga. It runs a registration platform that allows parents to quickly see what programs are available in their area. And over the past six years, Do What You Love has partnered with 25 schools, paving the way for 4,500 individual registrations. What a lot of people don't realize is that the Do What You Love Foundation was born back in 2014 in a rather unexpected place, in a classroom on industrial design, which I knew nothing about. Luckily, I had Tong around to give me a primer. Industrial design is basically the design of any consumer products or service that can be manufactured uh, or produced on a mass scale. Uh, so some of the examples can range from the, the clothes that you wear, the cars that you drive, to medical beds in hospitals, to rockets that take us to space, anything. Anything that can be produced and manufactured that we use in our daily lives is considered to be part of uh, industrial design. So it kind of seems like uh, the thought and process behind the creation and design of things? Absolutely. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, so it's in that year, in 2014, that you decide to start Do What You Love. How does that even happen? How did you come up with the idea for Do What You Love in the first place? At the time, we were learning about the bigger concepts of design and the role it plays throughout society and history. It actually fits into a bigger picture a concept of system design, which is how all the different social systems, where if you try to imagine all the gears turning together to make the our society work the way it does today, is that's what system design is. Social institutions, governments, education, medical system. Mm. There's a system 
that built the cornerstone of, of our society and the way it runs today. At that time, one of the systems that we really dove into was the education system. We learned that the system was designed more than 250 years ago for a very, very different purpose. If it exists, it was created by someone. Mm. If it was created by someone, it was created for a certain purpose at a certain time that was meant to benefit a certain group of people. So when you think about how that ties into public education, because you brought that up, who was it leaving out and, and who was it including? What was the purpose of public education back in like the 1800s? Public education system was first developed for the purpose of getting people into factories. The concepts of a bell in the morning, which is reporting to work, having recesses and breaks in between your shifts, lunch breaks together, reporting to your supervisor or, or to your teacher, homework or, or doing work that's assigned to you, meeting quotas. You can see that how every component of our current education system was meant to model around the requirements uh, for the workforce and, and the industries at the time. Up until now, that model from a structural perspective has not really changed. But at the same time, the, the needs that we have today, it's, it's all very, very different. That's a bummer. I always thought that recess was for tag. Batong was right, and I could begin to see where he was going with this. With the fourth industrial revolution and the automation of manual repetitive tasks, the needs of our society are drastically different now. At 2014, throughout my conversations with my classmates, friends, parents, almost every single person felt that the existing school system didn't really teach us what we really need to know to be successful. So in 2014, what was the gap in public education? Equipping us with skill sets and knowledge that matters today. So first, from holistic education, is the idea that there are different types of intelligence amongst people and that we cannot be all measured with a single ruler of intelligence. Uh, so for example, social emotional learning, which is understanding the soft side, the soft skills, and uh, self-reflection, creativity. This is all part of building that holistic education uh, of, a, of a child back at the time it was a big gap because uh, of all the things that were happening in schools to leave out these types of uh, activities, such as creative outlets, which really, really allowed people to, to develop that holistic side of their, their being. The bell curve that's used in the current system uh, was designed to be that one ruler uh, to measure everyone's intelligence. It's a really limited measurement scope, general academic courses like mathematics, English, science, the, the bell curve used also disregards and alienates all those other types of creativity uh, amongst children. So for example, if someone is uh, performs poorly in math, but is a genius in other areas like music, in the current system, they would be considered an F or someone mm. that was not very, very smart, intelligent at all. It's a huge gap in, in our current system. What the issue that this have is potentially you have a lot of, you can have a lot of greatest, you know, great inventors, musicians, artists, and leaders of the world sitting in front of you in a classroom, but being led to believe that they're actually not smart enough mm. at a very, very young age, not good enough compared to those around you who are better at those very, very specific skill sets. Like math. Or like English, math and memorization. Or, yeah. And it built limiting beliefs that, for people at a young age that, that they might not be good enough to succeed in life. He nailed it. For instance, 
chemistry and I, we never got along. But zooming out, if I don't think I'm smart enough based on federal or provincial standards, at what point do I just stop trying? You're learning about system design. You see this gap in public education. What made you take action to start something to tackle that problem? It had a lot to do with my own personal experience going up through the system. I was born in China and Beijing and started uh, taking art classes when I was five. I moved to Vancouver at the age of 10. Art became my way of making friends because it was something I was good at. And it was something that allowed me to build my own identity. Disregards the difficult years of, of being a newcomer, having to move around to different schools, uh, 11, moving 11 times in 10 years. 11 times in 10 years? Yes, yes. It was my outlet uh, wherever I went. And it, it taught me that I was capable of creating something from my ideas, turning into reality, instead of just being led by what's happening around me, having zero control of what I want to create. Hmm. It taught me the value of being creative and believing that there was something more in me to give and offer to the world than what I was led to believe. And I was led to believe for the longest time that I wasn't good enough I mean, mm. because of my background and what I was, what I, who I was. And, and also what kind of made me take action was that understanding the significant role that art had in my life, you cannot predict what it can do for people in terms of having that outlet. And for me, it was, um, it really kind of dawned on me when I learned about all the education, extra education programs that were simply being gutted and pulled away from the schools, simply because that it was considered non-essential. It was the first thing to go when education is facing any type of budget cuts. Mm. The result of that was lots of lots of kids and hundreds of thousands of kids across Canada not having access to art exposure or art classes in elementary schools or music programs. That really made me think about myself when I was younger. If I didn't have that outlet for me, I really cannot say where I would be today. It got me thinking that what if I never had art in elementary school? What if I had never had the chance to discover who I am, like mm. my own identity at the time? And then I thought about what if that opportunity for people to discover themselves was taken away from, from millions of children across the country? Vice versa, like what would the world look like if our next generation of children had all these opportunities? It's a two very, very different world mm. that we will be walking into. And it was clear to me that the education system will need to change or evolve to really meet the new needs of today and today's society. And I didn't know anyone else that was really tackling this at the time. I looked around and didn't really see, find a, a solution that I was happy with. Therefore, it became something that I wanted to really be a part of. It, it was something that I felt the urge and needs to do something about. And all I knew, I wanted to change the situation or, or be a big part of it. Hmm. So then it was a matter of really figuring out what to start, where to start. It's crazy to think how your background of moving into, you know, into Vancouver and then learning to like adapt to art, right? That then fed into industrial design later on where those two experiences together combined into like, oh my gosh, how do I implement wide-scale change for other kids so that they can be exposed to the same things that you were, right? Absolutely, yeah. Hmm. So all of these questions are swirling through your head. I didn't know what to make out of all, all that, right? So with all, with all these questions swirling through my head, 
I had no idea where to start and what what was that commitment going to look like. I knew that it could potentially become someone's life's work because we're talking about huge massive undertaking in influencing change. the evolution and change mm-hmm. in in an institution across in an system. entire like system, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and I really had to ask myself is that is that something I can see myself being a part of? And if if I was willing to take on that challenge, hmm. that that could not have been easy. It, it was not. It w- I would say looking back, it was the single biggest leap of faith that I've ever ever taken in in my entire life. Uh, I had no idea that what I would get myself into or or how the future would unfold, but I I knew it was the right thing to do because I I there was a calling that that I felt that I heard. Um, nothing was going to stop me because in the end like i just saw the purpose of how this could create so much more good for society and how it can benefit the community challenge on a system level and and how if right. it could benefit millions and millions of children and change the outcome and their learning experience through through school so when you first got started how did do what you love become do what you love as an organization at first, I knew I had to find ways to create more learning experiences for children. It was really a matter of figuring out where and how. So I started reaching out to community centers, gyms, local studios, and businesses, other youth organizations. Uh, but in the end, I hadn't, didn't really have much success. Mm. And then I knew that maybe it has to be done at the school system level. Because the things that I was talking about in terms of creating system change, it was difficult for people to, to, to see what I was talking about, especially if people didn't really understand how the system worked. So I started reaching out to, to schools. I felt like that was the place and direction that I needed to go. Mm. In that process, I learned about how after-school programs were one of the biggest needs in the school system mm. because most schools actually have to be completely relying on themselves to be able to organize any type of after-school activities for, for their families and children. And there was not a, a good solution or a good system in place for, for, for schools and community program providers and parents and students to, to all come in together on the same page to do that. Mm. So, so I knew right away at that time that maybe this is the area where I could contribute the most to society. And I guess like when you were thinking through this at that time, that was right when the BC Ministry of Education, I want to say, um, had removed extracurricular activities from, in terms of funding, is that right? Yes, yes. So for one particular case, for example, when Vancouver decided to remove all of its music programs from elementary schools, the owner and founder of Tom Lee Music actually went to the school board, uh, the district office himself, to express his concern about what this could do for for the children. And the same thing happens in Burnaby, in Coquitlam. But it's not something that people will talk about a lot. It is not a very pretty thing. Mm. To, but at the same time... Weren't parents concerned with it? The, uh, of course, there were a lot of concerns with it. But at the same time, when they go to their schools and principals or administrators and voicing concerns and say that they need access to all these programs, the principals are don't really have any 
a lot of things to offer either mm-hmm. because the schools are now left fending for themselves right and they don't have the resources and the time connections uh, to be able to organize registration and and do all that there was no system in place so that's where i knew that we can come in mm. cool uh when i think of nonprofits you know often their biggest concerns come from securing funding and since their organizations also um growing right what have been your biggest hurdles that you've had to overcome over the past 6 years the biggest hurdle first and foremost was how to operate these programs sustainably meaning that when the funding or charitable donations or support stops coming in can you still run without external funding dependencies right so you're looking to make it sustainable and, and it's like self sustainable yes yes uh, so first was sustainability and second was getting the instructors and professionals to really buy into our mission and take ownership of the classes that they teach that was a second biggest challenge was getting people's buy in and number 3 was at how to really scale our programs and services and reach with the least amount of resources available mm Uh, it feels like you've put a lot of time, effort, money, resources into this movement. Uh, what have the sacrifices been like for you? It, it, it's definitely there's been huge sacrifices. When the, looking back in the past six years, there's a lot of things that I could have done uh, in my life. And sometimes I look around in other professionals like myself, uh, and he, and if I literally worked. tirelessly just towards making money if that was my only purpose in the last uh, 6 years then i would say my life would be very different right now but at the same time the fat sacrifice that i had to make to achieve what i want to achieve with do we love was actually first having to be okay with not chasing the money mm. at all whatsoever in the most difficult times when i'm asking myself why why can i just like stop and go get a job and get get regular paychecks and why can't i just have regular weekends and regular holidays and and just have the time to be able to do the things that i want to do like being fit and being active and why do i have to sacrifice all those things just so that i can find and scrape enough energy for myself to keep going mm. in in and and continuously to make these sacrifices were there any moments where you thought to yourself you know what forget this like i'm done Abs- absolutely there's been times where i've worked tirelessly in helping schools and helping the communities to get what they want and helping kids to to get enrolled uh in programs that they've never ever been in before and learn about new things but in the end all that effort is met with just complaints certain complaints from a certain parent about a certain incident or from a certain person about something that they're unhappy with the list of complaints or the words that they might say that's when I'll have I sometimes I will have moments where I'm just like okay f this I'm done Why am I doing this? I'm I'm making all these sacrifices. We kept chatting for a while about the complaints that really got to him and 
While I loved how raw we were getting into Tong's experience and acknowledging the downside of things that Tong has had to deal with as an entrepreneur, and more importantly, an entrepreneur of a nonprofit organization, I feel like it would be unfair to discount the victories too, which, to be honest, have been really impactful to families across BC. I started talking to him about his highlights, the joys, rewards, and victories, and that's where he really started to get going. Through these couple of years, we've been helping more than 13 different program providers uh, and groups and countless professional instructors to be able to actually do what they love. They were able to share their passion and give back to their communities, but were never able to figure out how to navigate the education system to be able to do that. Providing them with the opportunities to actually be able to realize their dream. To me, these are very all very, very many victories that we've had over the years. And also building a, a healthy, small community business out of it for some of the instructors. They've started out as just instructors teaching at studios or space rentals, but through over the years with Do We Love, we were able to help them become small business owners and be able to provide after-school programs for a decent living. Over the years, through all these amazing program providers, buying and, and believing into our vision, we were able to collectively serve more than 5,000 families for all the different programs that we provided over the years. As well as parent and student testimonies that, that we will get about how a program or a particular experience have changed and made an impact on, on their child's life mm -hmm. is a big, big reward for, for, for me and for us to, to do what we do. Sweet. Looking back over the past six years, as, and as we speak through your experience, what's this process been like for you? It's been a very exciting process, but also uncertain at times because of all the unknown possibilities. Challenging because it was also, it was also a process where I've had to discover myself and really, really push the boundaries. Having to start from scratch and not really knowing anything that the education field and starting a, or anything about starting a business or charity, I had to le learn everything from doing it. It, it was mm. probably the biggest thing I've ever taken on in my entire life. I've never done an MBA or that type of advanced education before, but it literally feels like a real life experience where I'm really, really getting to understand a lot about a particular subject or a field. Yeah, awesome. Now that we're in 2020, uh, what's your hope for the next decade? Our hope for the next decade is we want to introduce this model that we have created with Do We Love being a community platform. We want to first focus on reaching all the schools and as many families as possible in the Tri-City region and doing really, really well. And we want to use what we've learned and expand that to other regions uh, in BC first and possibly across Canada. But our initial goal is to really grow our user base from from what we have right now. It's about 1,600 users from the Tri-City region. We want to grow that to 10 times more. And, um, and with 10 times more audience, we believe that'll help us to secure the resources and the support that we will have to bring what we're doing to the rest of BC and beyond as well. Sweet. Any parting advice or thoughts to anyone who wants to get involved in maybe not just do what you love, but also any societal contribution? Because it seems like you're very driven by purpose, right? 
And I'm curious, you're someone who's acted on it. A lot of people talk about how they want to do things, but but you've done it, right? And you're living it out. Yeah, what recommendations or advice would you have for, for people in, in that similar boat but haven't taken steps yet? My advice is that it can be very simple and very possible for, for you to make a positive impact right now, right? doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, what stages you are in life. I feel like philanthropy or giving back to community or or doing something that you care about, it, it's not a, a target that you have to reach and it's not a certain time that you have to do it. It's a part of life every day all around us. We can live that doesn't matter how young or how old. And I think maybe people will have this mindset about once I make a million dollars, I will start giving back to the community. Once I become this level of success and fame, I will start doing nice things for people. It doesn't have to be. There are ways all around you that you can make a difference in your everyday life. You can get involved with causes that you care about or taking any type of actions towards something that, that you want to see improve. Um, it, and it's quite simple. And it's all at our fingertips. And it's, it's very, very possible. It doesn't matter wherever you are. Yep. Case in point is this podcast. I had no idea how to get started, so I just jumped in. And as you can tell, I am figuring it out along the way. Speaking of which, I'm so thankful that you're here. We are at episode 16, and I'm personally glad that you're just as curious as I am to listen to fellow millennials on their stories of grit, leadership, and vulnerability. If you want to keep blazing trails with me, follow, subscribe, leave me a rating or review, and share me with a friend. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to me today from. Until next time, keep swinging at those shrubs. JQ, out. <laughs>